Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to him, What's going on, everybody? Good evening. Welcome to a new episode of the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with my my main man, Brock Buzzcut Landis. Brock, how are we doing tonight? My, my, Listen, my... not a buzzcut. This is a skin. Ah, okay. What's what's the difference between a buzzcut? Ball fade. We're, we're we're fading the sides into a buzz. Okay. The entire thing's not buzzed. Um, okay. Yeah, it's 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 a frequent look I get. I figured if I'm gonna be doing the YouTube videos pretty often. I got to stay up to par with the look. Uh, but otherwise, I'm, I'm chilling, AK. I'm doing my thing. Thank you for asking. So I used to do a buzz cut look too. Well, okay. the, fade, the fade wasn't popular back when I did it. But the buzz cut was certainly something. The only reason I wanted a buzz cut was because I liked the feeling of my hand on my head, like the way you'd brush through that's, it. That's, yeah. that's, that's a feeling that people take for granted. I – Personally, I like it because you wake up, you get out of bed. I take a shower every morning. I get in the shower, get out. I don't have to do anything. Don't have to put anything in my hair. Don't have to worry about a hat, nothing. I just get up and get after it with this haircut. So I'm rocking for this one. But I change with the seasons. I've had every hairstyle you could think of, AK. Uh, this is the one that suits me right now. Not in final form, I'll say. There we go. Well, we have a lot more to talk about than Brock's hair tonight. Um, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Cronin says, hey, go Phillies. That's right. Spring tra- I think today was truck day, right? Today was truck day. Oh, really? I, I didn't even know baseball season. Is baseball season starting soon? Yeah, I think it's wow. I think spring training starts soon. Yeah. Wow. That's cra- you know, the crazy thing is I-, I played baseball my whole life. Baseball is my main sport. Even growing up, like I used to collect cards. It was all baseball, predominantly baseball, Phillies, baseball prospects, everything. I-, I haven't tuned into the MLB in probably two or three years, consistently at least. I didn't yeah. know spring training was right around the corner. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Um, so, and, and Brock, we do at the Super Bowl yesterday. We got uh we, we you got you got the the Mahomes versus Brady finale. Uh, Brady wins that duel pretty handily, um, and now it looks like the the, the the Eagles will be returning Nick Foles. So <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But where there's smoke, there's fire. So right what a now, what a full circle world it's, it's come to. Yeah. I mean. Uh... The the quarterback controversy and the drama's just got to end. I'll say where there's smoke. Uh, there's fires, so I'm sure something's on the horizon. Right. So 
This is a Sixers podcast. We do have a lot to talk about today. We're going to start off with the uh, the Portland game from last week. And again, this is the feed to Embiid, powered by the Painted Lions, sponsored by the King Cobra and Thrive Fantasy Sports. We will get to those advertisements later. But let's start off with uh, the, the Charlotte game last week. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, the way they opened that game, you thought you, you probably thought to yourselves, like, this is going to be a 50-point slaughter. I mean, they were dialed in on both ends, hitting everything they everything they touched from 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 offense, and then they were just rotating beautifully, locked in on on, on defense. And, that, and the, the Hornets really struggled throughout that first half. Yeah, definitely. The thing about the Sixers is that they're breaking the game down, and the reason why I think they're contenders for a championship this year is because they're simplifying the offense to the point where it's just playing to the strength of your players and. If you look at their roster, there's a 6'8", three-level scorer. I'd argue uh, he, he's worthy of the Supermax, and you really haven't heard anything about it in the past month or so because Tobias has been hooping. But you've got a 6'8", three-level scorer that's a grown man bucket getter, so he can exploit mismatches, and hitting his spots is complementary to his game. Ben Simmons, similar, brings unique uh, skill set and impact every night. 6'10", very few people can keep up with that combination of speed and size. Joel Embiid, seven feet, same thing. Too big, too fast, too strong. He could just exploit mismatches. And the thing that this coaching staff is doing is just allowing these guys to play their game. And when the trio, the trio, the three of them can all do that together, they can run with any team. It's not like this is happening by accident, Austin. You're looking at a team that leads the NBA altogether in free throw attempt rate, personal fouls drawn. Joe has gone to the line a career high times through 19 games. Uncommons incredibly high free throw attempt rate as well. So top to bottom, you're just getting a ton of production, and it's not happening by accident. It's the coaching staff allowing these guys to play their game. So what you saw in Charlotte was getting out in transition. The, the, the Hornets like to run, so do the Sixers. They're top 10 in transition points. Tobias top five in transition points and field goal percentage. You can get out and run. You can run your offense. You can break the game down. When the Sixers do that, they're going to control pace the entire game. Yeah, I agree. I'm looking at the box score on ESPN right now, and for whatever reason, the highlight videos from that game keep coming up, which is annoying. Um, But you know, I I I just thought that they were they were I mean they were really incredible in in that in the first half of that game. I mean, Embiid comes out. I mean, to it really it I thought like what this week really showed everybody. Um, and I, I just think, you know, from a standpoint of like, you look across the entire Eastern conference, you look across really the entire league. Um, there's really no big man that has a, 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 the faintest of chances against a healthy Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you really like Zeller. I mean, come on, let's, it's cut it That's out. Mark Zumoff out there. That yeah. that, that was yeah. Mark Zumoff barbecue chicken on a platter for Joe. Yeah, there was like a play where, where Joel just like goes up, like he like shows a little bit of like a shoulder fake. Zeller goes flying by him, and he just goes up and does one hand on his head. Um, Joe, Joe is. I, I want to say the trajectory of his career. If he plays up to this par throughout the next eight to 10 years healthy. And, and that's asking a lot in eight to 10 years span. If he does it for five to eight, I'll say Joe's trajectory 
is Hall of Fame. But his ceiling, it's completely – it's limitless. Because if you think about centers that can shoot 55% plus from the field, keep that three-point percentage at right around 38 to 40% plus, shoot 88-plus percent from the line, and just have the defensive and offensive impact that Joe has, it, it's very rarely been seen before. And especially for somebody like me, I'm 21. You know, I saw a little bit of Shaq. I saw a little bit of KG. But that was on the way out. I've never seen a big man just dominate the game the way Joe is. And he's making it look easy. And the, the, the biggest indictment is that usually you get these arguments or split sides between generational talents or Hall of Fame players. People say, well, I watch Shaq. He's way better than Joe. I watch The Dream. He's way better than Joe. The thing that's an indictment of Joe is that you've got old heads now coming out and saying that they watch Carl Malone. They watch Kareem. They watch these get-on-the-block bigs play, and they've still never seen anything like Joe. He's just this this freakish combination of athleticism and talent, and the reason why the Sixers are so good is because their offense is as simple as get these guys a one-on-one, and we're going to take advantage of it. We trust our guy to get the bucket over your guy. And Austin, you said it perfectly. On any given night with Brett Brown as the coach, you never know what the offense is going to look like. With Doc Rivers as the coach – you know the Sixers see Cody Zeller on the schedule. We're putting Joe in the post 20 times. We see Tristan Thompson on the schedule. We're putting Joe in the post 20 times. We're not playing. And that's what's happening. Philadelphia is just pounding the rock to Joe and letting him go to work. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's not even like it's, – it's not even about just the, the, the math or the mechanics of a matchup. In other words, you, you – you, he's so adept and he's so good at just drawing fouls and drawing contact with the swing throughs, with the jabs, with this, that, the other. Um, He can get any big man in foul trouble really quickly. And I mean, the more, and even if he's not making free throws, which he's a really good, he's like 85% from the free throw line this season. He, you're still getting one foul closer to the bonus, one foul closer to getting to, to expelling their big man. Um, and, you know, as soon as you can get the, the opposing big out of the game, you can just run things right, right into the paint. I mean, it's a, it can be it can become a revolving door. So, you know, I, I, I thought that was like a game where you just see Embiid's dominance. And I really thought that this week would shape up for him to eat, just eat. It was barbecue chicken. It was microwaved mac and, mac and cheese, everything. I mean, in like, like, like Portland's a horrible defensive team. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brooklyn Nets don't have anybody down low that can even come close to holding Embiid's jockstrap. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a season or a, at least a week where they could really, um, you know, establish him as like this guy that you look, it's over. Embiid, Embiid's it. You're, you're done. Um, and I mean, they kind of did that. Like he had, he had a, he had 34, 37, and 33 this week. So, I mean, those are, those are, those are, that's a really good game. Those are really, those are really good games uh, for Embiid. But um, I was kind of thinking, like, maybe he get 50 against the Nets. <laughs> I mean, the way he came out, you thought he was. And in the second quarter against Portland, almost every possession Philly went with Joe. So that's another game where you look at Portland's interior defense and you're like, Joe's going to go for 50. Uh, Here's what I think. I think this is the most important thing, Austin. 
Joel Embiid took 10-plus free throws in eight of his last 10 games. In his yeah. past eight, he's also averaging 35 a game. Trey Young is the only player ahead of him with games with 10-plus free throws. So Giannis and Embiid are getting fouled on over 26% of their two-point attempts. That's over a quarter of their shots from two-point range. They're getting fouled on good for first and third in the NBA. There's that, and Joe has a league-leading seven games with 20 or more points in the first half. What does that exemplify? Joe's imposing his will. People can't take for granted the fact that there's a guy that can go to the line 10-plus times a night or, or take 10-plus free throws a night on a consistent basis. Because if you've got a guy getting 16, 17, 18 shots at the line, it means that you're either defensively, you're either in foul trouble or you can't guard this dude. And that's what's happening. Joe's getting to the line early. He's getting his spots early. And he's dominating early. Doc said it perfectly on his All the Smoke podcast. He said, I thought Joe was good. I got to watch that. I got to. It's, it's two and a half hours, but it's worth it. Is this, he, goes, he goes two and a half hours? Two and a half hours. Yeah, there's there's a history with Matt and, and Doc. And Matt Barnes got into a fight with Doc before and coached them. And Stack's a good friend. But uh, they talked about way more than just Philadelphia. But if you're a Sixers fan, the first 18 to 20 minutes, I think, was strictly Sixers. So if you don't want to listen to the entire two and a half, just listen to the first 20. Joe said, listen, I knew I, I knew Embiid was good, but I'm not going to lie. I didn't know he was this good. And the thing about Joe is that if he gets to his spots, there's no way you can guard him one-on-one. -on -one. You have to double him. So Doc said the most important thing for him and the staff is to not only get Joe comfortable with being, being double teamed, and he said Joe is. He's welcoming double teams now the same way Charles Barkley used to. But also, which is more important, they need to have Joe comfortable with the mindset that if you double me, we're going to score. If you don't double me, we're going to score. And he said Joe's been playing that way. It shows Joe is welcoming double teams. He's reacting to double teams differently. He has trust in his teammates now to knock down threes when he kicks it or swing it when he gets rid of it in the post before a double comes. And it's literally the truth when you don't double him. If you don't double me, I'm going to score. And – it's crazy because Joe is literally either going to score or get a bucket on, I'd say, eight out of ten possessions, which is just an unbelievable, incredibly efficient rate. Yeah. No, I, I mean, and it, it's it's hard it's hard to put into words. And I think uh, Cam Labarge says it really well. Like um, he, he's just different. Mm -hmm. Just literally, um, he's he, he's a po he's a positive he's a positive in. He's a positive impact big man right now. And, you know, he's, he's, it, it's, he's having the biggest impact of his career. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, and I don't know if it's really the kid part that changed him, but I, I think he, it's, it's helped him sort of realize that there's like, like basketball is just part of my life. It really cleared his head out and said like, this doesn't have to be my everything. Like basketball is my job. It's my path. I love it. But I'm a father. Yeah, I'm a I'm a man. I'm a human. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a a significant other to my to my girlfriend or whatever. Um, you know, and I think that's really sort of helped him put into focus like how seriously he needs to like like like, like it's not live and die by every possession, and it's not it's not like the most dire situation, but I think it's also taken a pressure off of him to have different priorities where basketball is not, it isn't like basketball and you just go home and play, uh, play FIFA. 
So um, I, I think it's changed him in some ways. Um, I, I don't, I'm not going to say like his son is the sole reason behind it. I mean, Joel's put in the work. He's, 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 he's stayed in shape to be, to be what he is. Um, but I, I think he's definitely had a different mindset this year and he's definitely taken the leadership part of it much more seriously than he did in previous years. Um, now Brock, before we go into the Portland game, I do believe you have some words on one of our sponsors. Yeah, I was going to talk about Joe after you made that point and about how life has ups and downs and there's adversity. But if one of your ways is coping with that adversity um, by drinking alcohol, drinking beer, anything, you might as well get your shotgunning time a little bit better. And how would you do that? You buy a King Cobra. So if you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, check my boys out at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and fits all on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And the Cobra is spelled with a K. As always, for 10% off, you want a 10% discount code on all products. Enter the code TRUSTTHECOBRA10. That's all caps, TRUSTTHECOBRA10. Pick yours up today. Austin, I think... Uh, our audience here is enjoying the NBA season, uh, and, and the only way to make this season a little bit better would be to buy a King Cobra because these games are fun. People drink alcohol during the games. You want to get your shotgunning time a little bit better, uh, increase your accuracy drinking alcohol. You want to do that with a King Cobra. That's the place to get it. So check them out on IG. Um, I don't know why you had to go. I don't know. I don't know how you had to go the extra mile there. There was no reason to. You, you, you well, know. I, listen, they're 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 a great company, and and uh, they're paving the way. I'll say that. I don't want to give away too much. You should check them out for yourself. Um, but back 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 to Joel Embiid and potentially the Portland game and what went wrong there. So uh, in that game, like we really, you really saw the value of Ben Simmons in that game. Yeah, of course. Um, and I mean, Portland makes thirteen threes in that game. I mean, the Sixers usually give up like twelve point seven per game. Well. So it gets around up to 13, but they're they're averaging 12, 12.7 made threes allowed per game, which, it, it, you know, I think that's kind of high. Um, maybe maybe it, in relative to the rest of the league, it isn't high, but in my eyes, like 12.7 is a lot. That's four threes a quarter, which feels like a lot. Um, but they, you know, the, the, Portland made a ton of, a ton of shots that game. Um, and they also, they dominated the offensive glass. And you see the average for an NBA team is like 10 and a half offensive rebounds per game. Portland this year is averaging 10 points. They get 19 um, in that, in that game. So you, you really see like the value that Ben Simmons has in just limiting offensive possessions for the, for the opposite, for the, for the opponent. And then he also, Obviously, with his defense, like they those 13 threes, they're coming off of swing passes. And those swing passes, first of all, they're, 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 they aren't deflections because you don't have Ben Simmons there. They're also much easier shots for the def- for the for the offense to to focus in on and, 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 and knock down because you don't have a six, a seven foot wingspan closing in on you with, with you know, with incredible control. So. I thought you know his presence was certainly missed on the defensive end of the court. 
Offensive end of the court, they only made seven threes. They shot seven twenty-seven from three. They made six fewer threes than the Blazers. That, and I think they lost the game by sixteen points. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even if Ben doesn't score, you know, twenty-five points per game, even if he doesn't score eighteen points per game, he's generating so many points for your offense. And if you're really going to care about like who scores the points, as opposed to just scoring the point. Like, I promise you, Ben Simmons having two more points per game is not going to matter to you in a game that the Sixers win by um, 14. Like, 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 like you're not going to care. It doesn't matter because he's facilitating so many of those shots, so many of those scores himself. Um, and I, I think it just really it's, – it, it's a reference to the fact that we need – or not we, but fans need to – redefine and reassess what it means to be a number one draft pick. Does it mean you're the best scorer in, in college basketball or you're the best score or that you're going to be, you know, you're destined to be the one of the top scorers in the league. No, it means you have the highest ceiling and it means right now you are worth right. You, your value is worthy of the number one overall selection. And I, and I think no matter how you put that, it's hard to dispute that Ben Simmons isn't a star player in this league. I just think the Ben takes and, and, and the misguided hate is just tired. I don't even want to talk about the first overall pick or the money because that doesn't mean anything to me and it shouldn't mean anything to anybody. I've always said it's not your money. It doesn't change how much the cease cost that you sit in to watch them. It doesn't change your cable provider's bill to watch the RSN and, and see your basketball team play. So the money doesn't matter because any team with money available would have given him a max contract. He's one of the most highly impactful players in the league, and he'll never be able to divorce his draft pick. Hindsight's twenty twenty. so now everybody says they'll take Brandon Ingram because he could give you 24 points a game and do it in a flashy way. But if you look at the rebounds, the assists, the assist points created, the wins, the impact on the team, Ben Simmons is still probably the most valuable player in that draft. Jalen Brown is getting close. Brandon Ingram also getting close. All three of them are fantastic ball players. But in terms of in-game impact, I think Ben Simmons is just uh, just as, if not more valuable than any of them. And I use this Portland game as reference. Now, the thing about fans is that they're fans. So whatever people have to say about Simmons, it doesn't matter to me because I can't change your opinion. And at the end of the day, you probably won't be able to change mine. But I just find it so annoying and tough to deal with when people say you're reaching, like for me, for example, I always try to point out what Ben Simmons does well. I do it for Tobias, for Shake, for Joe, for everyone. It just so happens that Simmons does so many things well on a nightly basis that I have to constantly tweet things out about him and constantly highlight him in the videos. And people will say, you're reaching. Uh, why do we have to keep making these excuses for a max player? Is eight assists a game really? If you watch this game, you'll, you'll see how impactful Ben Simmons is. Because the Sixers, they didn't get out on fast break. I, I think they had less than 12 or 14 fast break points. Games with Simmons, they'll have 24, 26, 29, 30 points on the fast break. So you're not getting out in fast, fast break. You're not winning in transition. What happens in transition? Both Ben scores, but also what he does is absorb the defense, draws defensive attention. So you've got a guy 6'10", right? that plays great defense on the perimeter or in the interior. He's playing good defense, which also suffered in this game against Portland. He gets a live rebound. He accelerates. He's gone. He's passed everybody. 
So now defensively, you're disorganized. You've only got three guys back. And Ben makes what? A three-on-three or a four-on-four with Danny Green handling. Now a four-on-three because he's handling. So now Ben's in transition, and teams can't treat it like a four-on-three because I said earlier in the podcast, teams can't match that combination of speed and size. So defensively, you're disorganized. Now you got to pick Ben Simmons up, and this jump shot doesn't mean a thing because whether he can shoot or not, teams still got to pick him up right at half court when he's in transition. So you're disorganized. You're picking a guy up that doesn't shoot in transition at half court, and now the Sixers have three available shots, and you only have two guys, maybe one, that can defend them. So Ben just quarterbacks the offense and finds the open shot. So if Ben shot maybe 10 more times a game, sure, maybe he'd have 25 points a night. But at the end of the day, that means he's taking shots away from his teammates. And those are very valuable shots. And and, and we can use numbers to justify that. The Sixers shoot 41% from three with Simmons on the floor. When he's not on the floor, the Sixers shoot 26% from three. In the Portland game, they shot 29%. They didn't make a three in the first half because there's nobody getting out in transition to draw defenses. There's nobody attacking downhill to make defenses double or, or pull defenders off the shooters. You don't have that if you don't have Ben Simmons. So the Sixers got to all of their spots in the game. Joe, it was his seventh game with 20 or more points before halftime. Joe did his thing. He had, what, 23 points in the second quarter? He ended with 31 in the first half. Joe had a Joe game. He got to all of his spots. The spacing was great. But negative game script early made sure Tobias and Joe didn't have that good of games. But the Sixers lost because they didn't get in tra- get out in transition. There was a rebounding disadvantage. Their perimeter and interior defense suffered. There was a lack of creation on offense. Why? Because there was no Ben Simmons. So before you say you're reaching because you say he had 41 points and 26 of them were assist points created, and that doesn't matter, you need to watch a basketball game. I hate to be that guy, but I've seen way too many hours of film for somebody to say my opinion is baseless or, or somebody to say that I'm reaching. I've watched Ben Simmons way too much. Simmons is a ball player. He's a ball player. And he may have flaws, but he's a ball player. So if he only gives you 13, 14 points a night, whatever. But you can still win win with him on the floor because he does the little things that don't show up on a box score that actually matter on the floor in a game of five on five. I don't know if these people haven't played a game of basketball before, and, and that's why they can't really comprehend what Simmons does. But if you've played the game before, if you've played played 2K before, if you watched basketball on any level, it's not hard to see how big of an impact a player like Ben Simmons has. And for the people that refuse to see it, I can't help you. Yeah. Well said. So, you know, and, and I think like it's, it's, it's just so hard to – for, for, for whatever reason to like in, internalize that that value that that he brings and it's it's all you have to do is just you have to zone in on on watch him play and just don't like have these preconceived notions about what he can or can't do the, those times where he stops on a dime at the free throw line um look at how many of those passes turn into assists just 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 look because, yeah. because like the value of him pulling up for like a free throw line jump shot versus him kicking to a shooter who hits then hits a three. I think the probability of him making that free throw line jump shot off the dribble 
is probably lower than 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 him kicking to and, and the value you would you would you know you would derive from a three point shooter hitting a three. Like I just don't think the probability of him making that jump that jump shot's that high. But I think more than anything that in that Portland game, like you see the combination of them of Embiid having to get 30 first half points and then Ben or, or then um you know the team shooting seven seven twenty seven from deep. They had to use so much delay action in that first half to get Embiid the ball in space and let him isolate against you know Cantor, whomever it was, because they just had a, they had no one to lead to, to initiate and get them into their offense. The entire playbook was like delay, 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 let Embiid operate. Because Ben, even if he's not a scoring threat, you know, in, in the sense that people want him to be he still understands how to initiate offense for, for his teammates. He still knows how to set guys up. And that was so, so important. And you saw the stagnancy. Embiid's not a great he's, – he's an okay passer. Embiid's not a great passer, though. He's not a Jokic. So the guys are just kind of standing around waiting for these shots to organically flow. And they're not used to the setups that they're getting from Embiid or whomever else. The value of Ben Simmons is accurate passing – Hitting shooters in stride, noticing cutters, diming up his guys when, when when he finds them, and getting the team into its offense and getting them organized. That's so much more the value than him spotting for an occasional three or for a fifteen foot jump shot. Yeah, and another thing I'd like to add is that people want to say he's a supercharged Draymond Green or he's Rajon Rondo on steroids. He's, he's not. That. He's just he, been exactly. He's not that. And people called him LeBron and compare him to LeBron, but he's not that either. When Kobe Bryant passed, everyone said they were done with this. They were done comparing players. They were done scrutinizing players for doing this or that. And then a week later, everyone forgot. And it just so happens that Simmons is the most scrutinized player in the entire league. My thing is that Ben Simmons isn't LeBron. He's not Dre. He's not Rajon Rondo. He's Ben Simmons. He's a combination of everything that helps you win. And if you don't take it from me, if you don't want to believe me, you should listen to the people that get paid to talk or play or coach basketball. And all of them say that Ben Simmons is a ball player. Doc Rivers on the podcast said Ben isn't a point guard. And that's what's got everybody tripped up. He's a player that can play point at his position, which is mind-blowing because he's a forward. Jokic is one of the best passers in the league. You just said Joe's not a Jokic passer, right? Jokic is a great passer. And he's doing it at the center position, which gives him added bonus. Everyone loves how good of a passer Jokic is. He's a center. It's no different for Ben Simmons. He's a forward. But you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Because he was first impressed or, or, or first introduced as a point guard, now he's stuck with that. But the thing is, he's not. He's a power forward that can play point in his position, which makes him even more rare. And Doc Rivers said that Dwight Howard, who just won a championship with LeBron, said Ben Simmons has LeBron-like instincts. Dwight Howard said that, and Doc Rivers, who's coached against LeBron and been around him for 12-plus years, also co-signed that. And LeBron's boys with Ben Simmons. So the thing is, he's not LeBron in the sense he's going to give you a triple-double 28 points and just annihilate teams. But he has LeBron-like instincts. And that's why I'm so passionate about Simmons' game, because you watch him on film, he just does crazy things, right? Like Austin... He'll dribble and stop on a dime at the free throw line. Now the Sixers have two players on the on the near side of the court, let's say. So you've got Simmons at the line, a player in a corner, 
a player on the wing. The player in the corner goes baseline, player on the wing cuts, whatever. Ben will keep his eyes on the player on the baseline and put all of his momentum, his body momentum towards that player, draw the defense in, fake his head one way, and make a pass back to the player on the wing. Like he just sees shots that aren't even there. He, he just creates them, or he sees players that aren't even in positions. He just leads them to these positions. So he has these crazy instincts, and it's just like people are, are taking him for advantage or comparing him to players that he's nothing like. At the end of the day, you just got to appreciate what you have, and what you have is a ball player and one you can win with. So it's time to tee up. It's time to mature a little bit. Um, put your bias aside if you can and just watch his games because you'll see him go to work and, and just quarterback the offense. For sure. Now, before we move on to the Brooklyn game, do you want to talk about our pals at uh, Thrive Fantasy? Yes. Um, come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy, if you didn't know, is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours. I mean, I see my friends will text me. They'll be, like, oh, be sending screenshots back and forth of, of like this bet and that bet and all this stuff, all this different shit. Countless hours of research eliminated because they only ask you about the top tier athletes in a respective sport. NFL is done for now, but when the NFL does come back around, you'll be able to choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. Um, if it's the NBA, which is full swing now, MLB coming up, PGA, whenever that is, or or eSports, <laughs> e e eSports. Uh, choose five out of the 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on the likelihood that it occurs. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack out the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Again, you're going to want to use promo code Simmons for three. Simmons, that's the word for F O R three, number three, Simmons for three. You sign up today, and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or the Play Store by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. Brock, we go over to the, um, um, the, the Brooklyn game. Big, it was, you know, a, I guess a, a, a supposed or a prepared battle of of, of heavyweights, um, but wasn't so much. <laughs> um, the Nets are down Kyrie due to like a sprained right index finger. Um, the they're, they're also down Kevin Durant, and what was just the most chaotic mm -hmm. display of of COVID stuff. Um, this the NBA has seen this season. I thought it was a really embarrassing moment for the league. Just like let the him entire, play. the entire year with COVID has been a really embarrassing moment for the league. Fair, yeah, that's true. But I mean, it let like like Kevin Durant comes back and he comes into the game, comes up the bench for the first time in his career. Then they then he picks up his fourth foul. He's on the bench. Like, wait a second, nope, you gotta he you got you gotta go back and get to, and and you can't play like. What a joke! That didn't, he, didn't he test negative like two or three times before the game too? I think they they have to get tested twice a day. I yeah. think the negative test came back. Yeah. That was just crazy, and, and and he was publicly voicing his opinion, which he has every right to do. Yeah, um, but so they don't have those two. They do have Harden though, and 
I, you know, I think part of like what the strength of schedule for the Sixers has told has has, has done so for them so far, they've been able to accumulate the wins, but they also just haven't played like their their really only quality opponent that they beat was the Lakers, and they really haven't had a true quality opponent um, since then. Like they've had it. Like they, they 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 have lost what seven games. They've lost to the Nuggets. They they didn't. The Sixers were down everybody because of COVID. Lost to the Hawks because they didn't have Ben or Tobias. Um, they lost to the Blazers. They didn't have Ben. They lost to um, Cleveland. They didn't have Joel. And there were other losses amongst that. Or they lost to Memphis without Joel. So you know they have there's a bunch of different games that 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 they that. You know they haven't had a quality win because because one of the two teams or both of the teams haven't been at full strength. And the Brooklyn game you thought was going to be an opportunity, it wasn't. But um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm kind of surprised at like how many dunks Dwight Howard misses. It, it's <laughs> why are you surprised by that? He does it. He does it two or three times a game. It's it's like kind of hard to comprehend. Like he gets these lanes to the basket, and he thinks he's Superman, and he goes up for these one-handed dunks, and he ends up being they end up being torpedoes off the backboard. It is. Like- I, I think it's hilarious because when Dwight gets poked or if he gets stripped or misses these dunks, he's just like a giant tree trunk lost in the mix in the middle of the court. Like everything he does, it, it's crazy because he's a freak athlete, but at the same time. He looks so slow when these things happen. Like he just throws his arms up in the air real slow and he's just kind of stuck in the moment there. Um, but that didn't surprise me because Dwight, along with his two or three fouls among checking in, um, does that two or three times a game. Yeah. But um, with, with the Brooklyn game, I think defensively it was a little tough to gauge what's going to happen in that matchup because like you alluded to, no Kyrie and Kevin and those are, killers on the offensive end um james harden for the most part got his in the two-man game he's a master uh, in passing and manipulating the two-man game and navigating around screen so harden got his but when the sixers put ben on james harden in the third i believe he had 24 points got two points with ben defending him and that was it for the rest of the game after he had scored 24 um ben goes on him and and then for the rest of the game he didn't score, and he was ultimately taken out when the score got too uh, far out of hand in favor of Philadelphia. But the Sixers also went on 10-14-0 run, I believe, after they put Ben on Harden. So Ben locked him for a couple of possessions, and I think that defensive switchability and versatility is going to be crucial in a Brooklyn series and even against other teams in the Eastern Conference getting to the finals. Um, but what I liked in this game against Brooklyn was 70 points combined between Toby, between Ben, and between Joe, that's also 33 rebounds, I believe, and eight steals combined. When the three of them post those numbers on a nightly basis, they're going to run with anybody. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. Uh, Brooklyn altogether only scored seven points against Ben Simmons. <laughs> and in the game against Portland, Joe held the entire Portland squad, entire Portland squad to four of 14 or four of 15 from the field, I believe. So you get two incredible defensive performance turned in. Uh, by your stars in different games offensively. Everybody was clicking. And the thing about the Sixers is that they're just keeping it simple. They're running their offense. They're adding new wrinkles every couple of games. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, it's all about getting these one-on-ones or these two-on-twos, these three-on-threes, so you can create numbers advantages and physical mismatches and, and, and just find ways to exploit them. Nothing the Sixers are doing is happening by accident. This is all schemed. Yeah, and you know, it, it really is all scheme. And I, I, I really, I, I wondered in that Brooklyn game, um, as speaking of Ben Simmons, Miguel Villanueva says, uh, I hope Simmons doesn't take a jump shot for the rest of the year. He doesn't need to. Um, I hope he takes the ones that come naturally and that, that, that when he's ready, he shoots them. Um, but like, so I was, I wrote, I even wrote in my game story, like, why isn't like, like the one blemish on Doc's resume, this, this, as far as the Sixers has been like letting guys just go off instead of having been on that guy, like Bradley Bill gets 60, um, you know, the, the Harden heated up in that second half. Um, and Ben like wasn't on him until midway through the, the third quarter. But, um, but when like, Ben goes on him, and the game is just over. Like the the Sixers go on a run, they end up going up by like twenty, and you know the game is basically. Oh, you got a, a dragon in there, a Tasmanian devil in the closet. I have a dog fight going on here. Hold on one second, one second. You so so, you know they put Ben on him, and and Doc's reasoning after the game I thought was actually pretty sound. I thought it was good reasoning. Um, it was. You know, it was like it was like he wanted to conserve Ben's fouls and energy for the second half if Harden really went off. So if Harden had like 26 first half points, they would have put Ben on Harden sooner. But he only had 13 in the first half or something like that. And it ultimately didn't matter. Philly got the dub and defensively, uh, you got Ben back. So your perimeter and your interior was a little better. But the thing I want to talk about with Philadelphia, and I know Austin, you and I uh, talked a little bit before the show about what are the Sixers and how do we define what the Sixers are? Uh, but the thing I really want to talk about is just their simplification of offense. You see it every game, but it's something that can't be overlooked. So the Sixers are getting into their playbook. They, they have staggered screens. They do things on the baseline. They get the playmakers, the ball in, in a space and, and, and have them do damage. But ultimately what the Sixers are doing, there he is, isn't happening by accident. And the reason why I think this is a championship team is because they're producing these one-on-ones, these two-on-twos. They're scoring all naturally. It's not like guys are getting the hot hand and going off for 40 points like Bradley Beal or like Zach Levine would. The Sixers are naturally breaking the game down, and there's nothing that's going to get in between it. It's like the only thing that can stop these players getting their buckets, maybe a couple of defensive players around the league, but the only thing that's going to stop these players from getting their buckets is themselves because defensively if you get isolated in a one-on-one or if you get put in the two-man game or if Ben Simmons dribble penetrates and and creates a numbers advantage where the Sixers got three players on one side to your two defenders there's nothing you can do about that so the Sixers don't have this fluke of an offense where things are just happening by accident they don't have guys just going off with a hot hand every night there's a structure in place and that's why the Sixers are so good. The players know where their shots are coming from now. If Tobias gets the ball, even before he gets the ball, Shake Milton, Tyrese Maxey, Seth Curry, they know where their shots are coming from. At the point when they get the ball and they get the screen, all they have to think about is navigating around that screen 
and getting a shot off in space? How do I manipulate coverage? But they're thinking less, doing more. They don't have to think about cooking up something with the dribble and then shooting off the dribble. They don't have to th think about creating space by themselves off the dribble. They don't have to think about cutting back door here and maybe you get a guy to sleep. Like this is all happening naturally. The Sixers are causing this naturally. And because of it, I just think they're a really good team. Like I, I looked at my friends the other night while I was breaking down the film and I was like, I, I, I don't want to be that guy. Like we do this every year, but this team is legitimately a championship squad. What they're doing translates to winning their free throw attempt rate, their early dominance, their bully ball. It all translates to winning. Well, I will say this. Um, so first, and like like manipulating matchups, like I'm noticing a lot more Ben Simmons post ups. Joel's obviously posting up a ton. Um, Tobias posting up a lot more too. Um, they're they're looking to weaponize mismatches a lot more, mm. and, I, and I think it isn't just one guy; it's all of them. If there's a switch, they get a they get a mouse in the house. They're going at it. They're looking to abuse it. They're looking to, they're looking to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, now I think it's just a matter of like keeping one guy out, like giving that one guy the entire lane and finding a way to space out. So that way, like Embiid maybe isn't outside, but he also isn't a help side defender like right there to greet Tobias if he turns around and pivots into a into a a, a, you know, a, a jumper like right below the free throw line or right above the free throw line. So you know I think I think they've done, done a better job of that, and I do agree with you. The shots. People know where their shots are coming from. Tobias has a lot more quick decisions now. Um, I, I think Seth is getting back into it, but Danny Green knows where his shots are coming from. He's even dabbling in the pull-up game a little bit, even though it's like a little bit unsuccessful. Um, but I think one of the more encouraging signs for their second unit is like Thibel is now starting to cut a little bit into it more intuitively off ball. Uh, there was a play – on Saturday against the Nets where he caught somebody sleeping, tiptoed back door and, and was fed for a dunk. I think Tobias fed him for a, for a, a dunk and just him being able to take, take advantage of those back doors and just like doing those simple things. And I got news for you with if teams know that you're, that, 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 that this the lineup you're, you're deploying of like Korkmaz, Tobias or Korkmaz, Ben, whatever uh, with, with, with shake and, um, Seibel and Dwight Howard, if they don't think that lineup is going to what? What are you, what are you smiling at? I was looking at the comments. Oh, um, it, if if they if they if if the defense doesn't think that you're that much of a threat to score, they're going to naturally let their guard down a little bit because they're going to use those those minutes to take it a little bit easier, rest up a little bit, recharge, and and try to score a little bit more. So. Take advantage of that. If they're falling asleep, cut more back door. Get those easy buckets. Keep them on their toes. Um, and I think they're doing a better job of that, at least recently. But to, to feed back to an earlier point um, from Mick P or MPC Smith one, um, is anyone else concerned about depth, front court depth behind Tobias and backup point guard? Yeah, I'll tell you, the Mike Scott situation is getting weird just because it's been like how many weeks since we've last seen him? Uh, the, the right knee is, according to the injury report, is still swelling. Doc said he was getting close, and then he had, and then, the, then apparently he had a setback. So we'll see where that comes in. But they desperately do need a backup four or five, just because I think that those lineups with another stretch 
guy with Ben playing like power forward or playing small ball center can be so much more effective if you had another if you have another shooter there um, because it allows Ben to just push and transition and know that, that shooter is going to be there. Um, Brock, what what part of the depth are you concerned about? Yeah, with the second unit, they're collectively doing their job. So when they come into the games, the game plan is to either hold or expand the lead. And the Sixers second unit has done that in a lot of these games. But the problem is when you play a Lakers team or when you play a Miami Heat team or when you play Milwaukee, maybe not this year, but Milwaukee does have some depth, uh, you need your second unit to also contribute because that's where you can really take advantage of, of going ahead on teams. So in the regular season, I'm not so much cons- concerned about the depth. I think the Sixers are cool there. They're maybe one or two pieces away from being completely straight because as a unit, the system works. The second unit, they have plays two. They have two-man game two. That all works. It's in the playoffs. If you play the Lakers and LeBron isn't on the floor for five minutes, you need somebody to be out there taking advantage of it. So Ben with Matisse, with Maxi, with Shake, with Mike Scott, yeah, they can hold a lead, but you really need to take advantage in those minutes. So I think the Sixers need to add another dog. It might be Kyle Lowry. I don't know what the, the validity of those rumors are. I don't know if that's strictly speculation. You know I'm a, I'm a see no evil, hear no evil type of guy. So unless it happens, I won't believe it. Um, I'm pretty confident the package would be something like Shake slash Maxi, Thibel, and like two firsts. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know what Philadelphia does. I don't know if they assess their championship window and think we'll, we'll part with draft capital and early assets uh, and, and, and player assets for Kyle Lowry. I don't know what they do, but in the regular season, the second unit does not concern me at all uh, because of the system and the coach there. But in the playoffs, you're going to need a, another dog that you can rely on, uh, maybe even close games with, because right now Tyrese isn't that guy. Cork Moss has stepped up. He's been good, but he's not that guy. Uh, Shake Milton is, is finally breaking his slump, but he might not be that guy. So you need a guy that can take advantage when LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Giannis, when those guys aren't on the floor in the playoffs. A point I wanted to make real quickly, though, was that people need to really understand what Joel Embiid is doing this season. I don't know if people aren't watching the Sixers or, or if they don't fully understand what's going on. But what Joe is doing is unprecedented, right? So a week ago, before these past couple of games, since 1996, only five players have scored 400-plus points with shooting splits of 50 from the field, 40 from three, 80-plus from the line through their first 16 games. And Joe was one of them. The other players on that list include Steph Curry, LeBron, Kevin Durant, and Kobe. No centers and all Hall of Fame MVP caliber players. Now, to put that in a further context, Austin, if you look at some of those seasons, Kobe Bryant in one of those seasons, 2001, the Lakers won the finals. 2012, Kevin Durant, when he did it, OKC makes it to the finals. Miami, 2013, LeBron, first 16 games, does that. They make it to the finals. 2015 with Steph Curry, 2016 with Steph Curry, the Golden State Warriors make it to the finals and win the finals. Something a trend here. It sounds like a trend here. So <laughs> all of these guys through their first 16 games were playing at an unprecedented level, and it proved that this, this game, the, what they were producing, it was they could maintain it. It was sustained success. That was tough to say. Too many S's. Sustained success. <laughs> 
They did it throughout the season, and their team went to the finals in almost every case. So I'm not guaranteeing that Philly makes it to the finals, but what I'm implying is that Joel Embiid is playing at the level where if he's your centerpiece, you can make it to the finals. It's just about filling the holes around him. And I think the Sixers have a per- perfect complementary team to do that. Yeah. Um, MPC Smith at one says, I thought Derek Rose would be a, that would have been a nice fit alongside Shake and in pick and roll with Dwight. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised to see how little he went for. Like the Packers I, was like DSJ and some picks. I know I knew that was going to happen. I've been campaigning for Derrick Rose to Philadelphia for over a year. I knew that was going to happen. The Sixers could have struck on draft night. They could have given up seconds for him. They could have if they wanted Derrick Rose, they could have had Derrick Rose, but the reason why I felt better about it is because Shake Milton and, and Tyrese Maxey have been really productive in the two-man game. Only 10 players in the league have 90-plus points on 50%-plus shooting in the in the pick-and-roll. Tyrese Maxey, Shake Milton, and Tobias. So the Sixers have three of those 10 guys. They're killing it in the pick-and-roll two-man game. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think he would have been a good add. Um, I try to separate, like, the person part of it from the player part of it, like obviously he's had some issues in his past. Um, and I, I feel like the truth is always like, it's, you, you just never quite know like what the truth is going to be there. And I get it. Like err on the side of caution, whatever. Um, but I mean, if he makes you, if he makes your team better and he doesn't cost much, I think from a business standpoint, like you have to evaluate that option legitimately instead of just dismissing it because he's had some some stuff off the court that has been you know pretty problematic, according oh. to reports. Um, Depends who you ask. It, um, well, I, I'm not going to say that anyone's lying or anyone's this or that. I, know. Uh, I don't know. Another uh, thing is that Derek Rose. Derek Rose is a goat to me, but at this point in his career. I don't think he's a needle-pushing point guard. I, I really don't. He's there to mentor the younger point guards and still contribute on a nightly basis. Philadelphia with Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton could have someone helping them in, in their ear, but they've got plenty. They've got Sam Cassell. They've got an entire coaching staff full of guys playing co- paying close attention. And Ben's there too uh, to maybe help him with playmaking. So uh, I, I don't really see where Derrick Rose fits on this roster at this point. Fair. I think you could always find a place for a point guard that can score 18 a game, for, but that's just me. Um, Willard says we still need another dog. Kyle Lowry adds another score, and he can defend. We get Lowry, and we are set. Um, I Here's the thing with, 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 with those types of scenarios. I think in a normal season, Lowry would probably be on the block, but like the Raptors are going to be vying for a playoff spot. They're going, to, they're going to be in that 9 to 10 seed range, if not better. I know he's always like like trying to kiss, and, and the tongue's always out with him. Um, but they're going to be in the 9 or 10, 10 range or better. Um, and so I just – are they really going to sell him at the deadline? I don't know. I don't I, know. That. I don't know. I mean, Toronto's playing in Tampa this year, and they already did DeMar – DeRozan dirty, and then they know how that fractured their relationship with him. I I don't know because Kyle Lowry has all these Philly ties, and people love that. But 
I'm not so sure Toronto is going to trade him. I don't know where these rumors came from. I don't know if he publicly asked for one or privately. I don't know if Toronto had expressed they were willing to trade Kyle Lowry. Uh, but until it happens, you know how I am. I don't believe it. <laughs> I think it's real. Um, I think the Sixers have inquired. Well, it, it makes sense. He's he's a championship winning point guard. He contributed in the playoffs, and he's played with Danny Green. So it, it would definitely make sense. Yeah, um, I would. I think they've probably made phone calls on Lowry and JJ Redick for sure. Um, but we'll we'll see where that goes. Um, if Ben Evans says. Ben over Lowry every day of the week. We need him against Brooklyn. Yeah, we're not going to trade the, the the Sixers are not going to trade Ben Simmons for for Kyle Lowry. That's not going to happen. Kyle Lowry is the guy that you get to make a difference without giving up Ben Simmons. So, uh, you know, the the we'll we'll see how things play out. But I think if Toronto continues to lose and they continue to fall off a cliff, maybe maybe they say, well, let's just cut our losses and. Um, you know, get some young assets back in return. And see if we can see what that what that holds for our future. I also think that with with the play of Fred Van Vliet, it might make it a little more palatable for them to let Lowry go if they have a if they have a point guard of their future right there, um, and one that's won a championship at that too. Um, the backup playmaking position is uh, is alarming. I like the way that Abe Link says this because. The backup playmaking, like the playmaking position, is such a good way of term of of, of is a good is such a good phraseology of it, and it doesn't confine you to one spot. It doesn't mean point guard, doesn't mean shooting guard, doesn't mean small forward, power forward, center. It just means that any kind of body that can slip in that can, that can slide into a spot on the court and can make plays is a good fit there. And I agree. I think they do need some backup playmakers there. Um, I think a guy like Mati- like Lou Will, the theory of the idea of him is a lot. Is, is I think that's a, the theory of him is better than the actuality at this point. Um, I don't know about that. I, I I hear you, but the reason why I disagree is because Lou Will's Lou Will. He doesn't have to do too much. Uh, not necessarily a high usage player, uh, but he's relied on to get his. So for Philadelphia, if your if your backup playmaking isn't the best. Lou Will would most definitely contribute, and he's the type of guy where he could throw him in a closing lineup, he could throw him in a starting lineup, and and that gives you more flexibility if you can bring Danny or Seth off the bench. So Lou Will, yeah, in theory, he probably might sound a little little better than his production actually is, but I think he'd kill it in, in, in Philly with Doc Rivers. P.J. Tucker is the one who I really like, though. The more I think about P.J. Tucker, the more intrigued I am. He's a guy that's going to splash threes in the corner, and, and you know where – Ben Simmons likes to throw some of those pinpoint passes, so he'd be a perfect complement to a player like him. He can get out and transition. Philadelphia wants to run. And defensively, he offers a lot to an already really switchable defense. So if you're trying to match up against Brooklyn, you say, well, Joe will take DeAndre Jordan if that's their center going forward. Ben will take maybe Harden. That still leaves Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And maybe you put Tobias Harris on Kevin Durant, or, or you play with those matchups one of Kevin Kyrie or KD is going to have a mismatch against the Sixers. A guy like PJ Tucker uh, alleviates that pressure a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, last one, Kyle Terrell says Doc needs to remember um, to play Shake and Tyrese together. I think Shake struggles a little bit when it's Furkan Matisse in the backcourt with him. Yeah, for sure. This, um, 
the the Furcon, I think, is still trying to find his way back a little bit and trying to figure out where he fits with the, in the spacing. And I think that can sort of mess up with Shake's decisions and playmaking if there's a new body there that is sort of out of position. But uh, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think Shake right now is in a little bit of a slump. Um, I would, I think it would behoove the Sixers to, um, what? You just said behoove. It's <laughs> a big word for me. What is a behoove? <laughs> what? What what is a behoove? Behoove means to benefit. Like it benefits. Like it would like like so usually if it's like if you don't do well on the test, like the what the origin of it is like it like your mom or dad saying it would behoove you to ask for extra credit. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So like um but yeah, I mean I think playing them together is really good. It just adds for a dynamic ball handling duo that they don't really have outside of that. I mean, there's some downhill speed. There's some angle finishing off the rim. And I think that they would, I think that would benefit the Sixers from, from deploying together on the floor. Um, Brock, we're going to wrap up with one question. Yeah. At this point in the season, there were 24, they're 24 games in to a 72 game season. That's one third of the way there. What are the Sixers? Sixers are a championship contending team. Okay. There, there's I'll keep it that simple. They're a championship contending team. I'm not quite ready to go that far yet. I will say that they consistently do good te- good things. They consistently win games obviously. Um and they're headed in the right direction. Um they do need to get the turnover numbers down and they do need to start beating some quality opponents for me to believe it. But I think they are headed in the right direction. They got the blueprint. That's what I'll say. Brock, where can they find you? On Twitter, at Landis Brock. That's right here. On YouTube, you reversed that, so it would be Brock Landis. And uh, on, on the Painted Lines YouTube as well, we do game breakdowns, theory videos, everything Philadelphia Sixers content. Uh, if you want tweets every morning you wake up and, and video breakdowns, then follow me on Twitter. I'm NBA Krell. Find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. <laughs> um, I'm always I'm usually guesting on the the the, the painted lines pregame show. I'm also covered the Sixers on the beat. Also, a general NBA columnist for Last Out Media, right there once a week. You can always find me. I'm I'm always tweeting out stuff on on my on my uh, you know for, as a reporter. Uh, as always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review. Um, or sorry, subscribe, rate, and review the feed to and beat on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on SoundCloud. Subscribe on YouTube. You can watch us live there every week. Um, good night from 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 Brock, me, and Preston. <laughs> um, um, we will set. We will, we will see you next time on a new episode of the feed to and beat. As always, thank you everybody for tuning in. Have a good night.